Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome into the Ringerverse, the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I'm Coke Baby Chuck. She's Mekaina Mal, and we're communing <laughs> with the Tree of Souls for the movie event of the year. Mal, how are you feeling? Are you excited to go to a tropical oasis for an hour? <laughs> Charles, I am delighted to be here with you in the crystal blue waters, hanging on the reef. I'm waiting for our guy, Payakon, to show up so that he can take us on a tour of the shiny, clear abyss. I'm so excited for today's pod. So, but before we get into it, we, you know, we have programming reminders. This Wednesday, the Midnight Boys return for a very contentious Midnight Mulligans, where we uh, re-rank all of our Movies and TV from this year. On Friday, the House of R does Ringerverse Recommends. And then next Wednesday, it's time for the most important night in nerd culture. That's right. The Ringerverse family is getting ready for the third annual Verses, where we bestow top honors to the best in genre entertainment. And you know how y'all can uh, stay plugged in to all of this good content? You follow us on socials, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, hashtag Save Jomi's Job. Now, with all that out of the way, Mal and I are about to discuss Avatar, The Way of Water. Steve Arino, can you please? This sounds crazy. A spoiler warning for Avatar. I know. <laughs> can you run the spoiler <laughs> warning, Steve? <laughs> We're getting ready to talk about Avatar, The Way of Water. You're listening to a reaction podcast. The spoilers are coming. 
All right. So to begin our reactions, I'm doing a mini Midnight Manifest today because there's not much to manifest. But Avatar, The Way of Water, directed by James Cameron, screenplay by Cameron, Rick Hoppe, Amanda Silver. Avatar The Way of Water is a direct sequel to 2009's Avatar and features Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana reprising their roles as Jake Sully and Atiri. The film also stars Sigourney Weaver, Kate Winslet, and Stephen Lang. Rotten Tomatoes, 78% critic score, and we have a very high 94% audience score. And in its first weekend, this is actually amazing. Avatar Way of Water made $435 million between domestic and the international box office. And for the plot, we're going to keep it light. So Way of Water picks up a decade after the previous movie. Jake and Atiri are now parents of three biological children, an adopted child, and a human child named Spider. When humans return to colonize Pandora, they bring along Avatar versions of Colonel Miles and his team of ver- Marines who are now back from the dead, and they are tasked with hunting down the Sullies. On the run with his family, Jake decides to start a new life with the Metcaina Reef people, a group of Navi evolved to be one, of the, uh, to be one with the water. As the Sullies navigate their new surroundings, they all come to terms with the impending war mounting between the Navi and the humans. Now, with all that out of the way, now I'm so interested to know, what what was your relationship to the original Avatar? Are you an Avatar head? So I think that my relationship to the original Avatar is probably similar to a lot of people's relationships to the original Avatar. And of course... As is always the case, mileage may vary. I'm sure that for many people, Avatar is the most important movie and like genuinely transformed the way they thought about cinema and life itself. For me, when I saw them, I saw the movie when it came out in theaters. How many times? I loved it. It once in theaters. Okay. I thought it was revelatory, visually awe-inspiring, and then didn't really think about it a ton again after that. I think in those early days, it was very present in our collective consciousness as this like Titanic achievement. And I watched it a couple times at home after that. And then I was thinking when I revisited it last week to prepare to see The Way of Water that it's it's distinctly possible I have not seen the first Avatar in a decade, which surprised (laughs) me because it's a movie that even though like from a story perspective, and I think that this is something that will be a theme of our discussion today, the distinction between the awe of the spectacle and frankly, the pleasure of just the hang and the vibe, the story tentacles didn't entwine with my tentacles to form that bond, (laughs) that that next level bond in a way that like led me to just kind of think about the characters and what they were up to in a way that maybe I do for other franchises that I love to return to. And yet Pandora is a great place to hang. And I do feel like in the Avatar universe, those those two truths, while they seem contradictory, can actually exist at the same time. How about for you? What's your relationship to the original film? I was probably in high school. Like, when it came out, it was like, yeah, it was just such a cinematic achievement. I remember seeing it two or three times in theaters and just being like, whoa. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, to your point, I don't think I've ever watched it again. So, like, I booted it up. And first of all, I did not remember the original plot to Avatar when I rewatched it like a week before. I was like, wait, this is what Avatar is about? Like, <laughs> I was just, it was a Shout weird, out Unobtainium. Yeah. Uh, I was just like, what's Unobtainium? <laughs> They're just like, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then 
I will say I went into my rewatch of Avatar expecting it to be very, very cheesy, not have like not aging well. And I was still transported. Like I was still like, oh, like I remember why I really like this movie. And it primed me to be excited for Way of Water in a way that I, to be honest, wasn't. I wasn't like, oh, man, I can't wait for a sequel. But the minute I turned on the original Avatar, I was like, oh, no, I do like this place. I do like Pandora. Were you also surprised? I thought, weirdly, even though it's made in 2009, the movie still weirdly looks pretty good for that time. Yeah, it's... So I really... I had the same experience. I really agree that I was like... I think in terms of just fandom and, you know, our jobs talking about this stuff on pods all the time, I was intrigued to see Way of Water, but it wasn't it wasn't like one of my most anticipated releases of the year. Joe and I, when we did our most recent hype meter, neither of us had it on our top 10 for this coming stretch and actually like took a moment to talk about how kind <laughs> of weird that was, right? How notable that yeah. was. But when I rewatched the first movie, I was like, man, I, I'm excited to be back on Pandora, but also in tandem with that excitement, just so interested to see what James Cameron has done and what the weight led to, because that's another thing. Like, Charles, I'm going to mention something that you may or may not have uh, spent any of your recent time thinking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you ever just take a moment and think about the fact that almost, not actually the entire, but almost the entire MCU has existed between these two Avatar movies? That is astonishing. Yes. That it's is astonishing. But have you also thought about like when I was watching Wave Water and also the Avatar, I was just like, the way we make these movies has changed so radically because of the MCU. It was yes. kind of weird seeing 2009's Avatar and the Way of Water and being like, oh, this is almost like a movie out of time in a lot of ways. And that's not to say it's dated. It's just, it's a different type of action movie. It's James Cameron doing what James yeah. Cameron does. And I was just like, I was, it was like a weird thing where I was just like, oh, this is not necessarily in conversation with the Marvel movies in any real way. Like, they're two parallel tracks, and that's not good or bad. It was just, it was, like, interesting watching these movies and being like, oh, this is actually how we used to make action movies. It is very, I don't want to see cliche, but Way of Water, storytelling-wise, has a lot of things that I was just like, oh, I've seen this before. This always works. In a way where I'm just like, oh, interesting. Are you a big James Cameron head, though? Are, were you big on Titanic? Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> so I think irrefutably, James Cameron is responsible for some of the biggest achievements in movie history. I will we'll, I'll shout out here our, our pals over at our sister pod, The Big Picture, Sean, Amanda, and Chris did a James Cameron movie yeah. ranking in the back half of the Way of Water Pod. And it was particularly fascinating because they genuinely could not decide how to order the top three could not decide what the order should be between Titanic, T2, and Aliens. I won't spoil where they eventually landed. I will just say <laughs> that I think it was emblematic of the fact that he's responsible for some of the defining tech innovations, some of these defining milestones in terms of how we think about what an action movie or more broadly, just a blockbuster, a seismic blockbuster can be. By the way, if you want to hear more about all of those 
incredible cinematic achievements and milestones, you should listen to Alan Siegel's wonderful oral history of James Cameron, which you can hear on the Big Pick feed. You can read the oral history on TheRinger.com. What a great website. Our guy, Steve Allman, never heard of him, produced the pod. T2, obviously, like an all-timer, Aliens, incredible. Titanic, I probably saw, I've probably seen Titanic in the theaters more than any other movie that I saw in the theaters, just because I was at that age when it came out, when I was in middle school. What's the rough estimate on how many times you've seen Titanic in when it was in theaters? Somewhere between five to seven times in theaters. This is, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that movie came out when I was like a teeny bopper. You know, I was in middle school and it was just like every kid in Reisterstown, Maryland saying, I need you, mom and dad, to take me back to the theater so I can see Jack and Rose again. Um, but like... In terms of the James James Cameron of it all, I am. All right, I'll say a couple things at once here. I am not a movie technology expert, nor will I at any point in this podcast claim to be. And so, the things that James Cameron has achieved his his obsession and fascination with the ocean, the the mocap, the underwater filming, the three D, the high frame rate, like all of this. I am kind of, from like a scholarship perspective, genuinely interested in learning about the way that he has made The Way of Water and more broadly, the way that he attempts to level up for every movie he makes. And I think that the fact that he has only made Avatar and Avatar The Way of Water since Titanic, like since 97, the only movies that he's made have been the two Avatar movies. And we're talking about 25 years and we know that there's a whole franchise coming here right like this is gonna there's a five movie plan the third movie is already filmed they they filmed it in tandem with with way of water cameron has been very open about and we'll talk a little bit more i think in a few minutes about the box office of it all he's been very open about the fact that the success of this movie will have a bearing on how many of those future installments we actually get but we're talking about avatar dominating the back half of James Cameron's directorial career. And that's a fascinating thing, I think, in in the context of his achievements as a movie maker and a filmmaker, but also the point you were making about, like, is Avatar in conversation at all with the larger superhero trend? I think of it as, like, the larger, like, IP trend. The fact that something that when it came out in 2009 felt utterly singular and distinct and is so specific to this one person's vision and guiding hand and obviously more broadly the like the stories about how james cameron makes his movies are like fabled right yeah in in ways both like astonishing and like like alarming (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that this is now like another ip machine is just so interesting to me because it's like there's a part of me that is genuinely really excited to return to Pandora for a third time in a way that I didn't think I would be before I saw the second movie. And then a part of me that like wonders what the larger Avatar machine looks like and even means when it is so much about the experience of being there and watching it as opposed to the the text of the the plot and the story itself. I mean, this is a, that's a good segue to talk about the box office because I've been yeah. thinking about to your point, like they already have the third in the can. Yes. We're most likely gonna get a third movie. Fourth and fifth up in the air. Right. So it makes 134 million domestically, which is short of projections, but makes 435 million globally. Right. I 
was one of those people who was just like, who wants a second Avatar movie? <laughs> and just in my life, yeah, we get screeners, we get to go, we get to see movies. I have never gotten more people asking me my thoughts on Avatar, what they think about it. My girlfriend has never really? asked to go to a screener with me. And this was the only time she's like, can you ask if I can come with you? Like, Interesting. And I was wondering, is it one of those things where it's like, it's so hard to get somebody into Star Wars if they don't have a nostalgic childhood love of it? Because you're like, all right, where do we start? All right, like how much of this is like, Star Wars is amazing. It's one of our best myths. But it's also like, you have to come to it at the right age. Like, if you're too old, it's just kind of like, there's a lot. Same thing with the MCU where it's like, if you didn't start with Iron Man, I can catch you up. I just don't know. (laughs) Right. But here are the 30 other movies you need to watch. Yeah. (laughs) But with Avatar, it's just like, oh no, we could go on Disney Plus and watch. I remember this. I love this. And part of me is thinking, even though it fell short of projections, Mm -hmm. do you think there's a part of this movie's success that might just be that it's like, it's one of the rare IPs you can just jump into where it's like, you only need to see one other movie. That's it. And during the holidays, grandma could see it. Dad could see it. Everybody's like, even if you've forgotten what happens in the first one, doesn't matter with this one. You could just sit down and be like, cool, <laughs> this looks amazing. I, I think it's a great point that I had not considered. The barrier to entry is, I mean, ideally you watch the prior film and I as a obsessive completionist would certainly advocate that people watch the first movie <laughs> before seeing it. But I, I guess like technically you don't have to. You know, there even inside of this movie, there are... And I feel like I like have like a shiver down my spine saying that because it's just so contrary to how I (laughs) I like to approach this stuff. But (laughs) technically, you don't have to. Like inside of this movie, you get the very handy. We we love a video log (laughs) for that download. Like catch us up. Remind us where we are. We get Jake Sully catching us up on uh, his time with with his family and the kids and who these new characters are. We get the Quaritch video log download of how the antagonists have come back into this story. All of these beats are covered pretty quickly in the first stretch of the film. And then the bulk of the runtime is the hang. I think the bigger barrier to entry for people is probably actually that runtime. And so I think like, and listen, let me say, let me say a couple of things. You will never hear me ever hear me say a thing is too long. I wouldn't dare. <laughs> I would frankly not dare to have but the is gall to say is something Avatar is the too way long. Water too long. I didn't think so. Okay. I know that'll shock you to hear. I didn't think so. Like I was actually surprised by, because I love a long movie. As you know, every time there's like a six episode, a six episode season of TV, I'm like, why wasn't this eight or 10 episodes? I always want more. We won't, we don't need to get into the runtime of some of our House of Our podcasts. That's not relevant. I I love to spend time like living in a world and and sharing it with other people who are interested in it. So the one of the few times that I do ever like get antsy about it, whether something is too long is just when I si- am sitting in a movie theater, because on the one hand, I love the communal experience of seeing a movie together. On the other hand, Charles this is the thing you might know about me. Very rarely enjoy leaving my home. Love to sit on my couch in my pajamas with my cat Mood. and my comfy fleece blanket <laughs> and just watch something at home. And so I thought, oh, boy, like... How many snacks do I need to bring with me? Am I going to have to get up midway through and do some hip stretches? I'm old now. I get lower back pain. I couldn't believe how quickly the three hours and 10 minutes went by because I was just 
genuinely enjoying staring at the screen. I do think for people who are considering seeing the movie, and this is why there are a couple reasons why I wonder if even though that opening, on the one hand, like you said, the opening weekend total global is like a a big number. It's the third biggest, uh, but per, per variety, it's the third biggest global opening of the pandemic. But it is also simultaneously, as you noted, short of the domestic opening weekend projections. And there's this looming, this movie needs to make X to break even, which I'll, I'll circle back to in a second conversation. You know, there's a, a great stretch of uh, our, our pal Zach Barron's awesome profile of Cameron and GQ, which which lays this out. Quote, the way of water was expensive to make. How expensive? Quote, very fucking, according to Cameron, who told me he'd informed the studio that the film represented, quote, the worst business case in movie history. In order to be profitable, he'd said, quote, you have to be the third or fourth highest grossing film in history. That's your threshold. That's your break even, end quote. So that means this movie needs to make $2 billion, needs to cross the $2 billion threshold to break even. Of course, the first one made $2.7 billion originally and is now at $2.9 after its re-release. But that's also the highest grossing movie of all time. It's a very different time for theater going. We so often see with these big tentpole films, the opening weekend number and then the the falling off the cliff right yeah. and i with the <clears throat> caveat again that i am i am not like our pals at the big picture a, a an expert in box office science and studies i i would not be surprised at all if this movie bucked that trend for a couple different reasons one Next week is the holiday week. And mm -hmm. I would not be surprised at all if a lot of people who are interested in seeing this just made the time calculus of saying, why not wait one more week to go see this with my pals, with the family, whatever the case may be on my own over the holiday at a more leisurely clip. And also this movie and like our pal Sean Fennessy had a tweet about this that I'm paraphrasing now, but it in essence was like, this is the rare movie that you genuinely can't spoil for people. You alluded to this earlier, right? It's yeah, kind of tough to have a spoiler warning for the way of water where the plot is in some ways incidental to the experience of the <laughs> film. I don't think people are going to have that same, like, Oh my God, I don't want my, Harry Styles stinger spoiled for me on Twitter on Thursday night at like 3 a.m. Compulsion. You're going to just want to go have the experience of watching The Way of Water in the theater or you're not. But there's not necessarily the day one drive for people. I guess the flip point to that is pretty clear, which is like people have been waiting since 2009 to see another Avatar movie. So if that wasn't enough to drive you to the theater on opening weekend, maybe nothing will be. Which of those do you think is more germane? This is going to spoil kind of my first reactions to the movie. But the okay. reason why I'm not worried about the box office as much is because watching this movie, my first reaction when people were like, what did you think? Yeah. I never have this reaction where I'm just like, just go see it. Go see mm -hmm. it in Dolby. Go see it with 3D. Like, just go see the movie. Right. Whether, like, we will talk about some of the challenges of the movie, maybe some of the story things that don't work. But there, this was the rare movie where I sat down for three hours. I never checked my phone. And I was just, like, kind right. of, like, slack jaw at the vibes. You where were I was transported. Just like, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, I didn't think of anything besides being there in the movie in that moment, just watching this unfold just the sheer beauty and scale of it where it's like 
I got to turn my mind off where it's like sometimes when I watch like a DC movie or a Marvel movie or Star Wars movie, there's always that like, wait, how does this connect in? And we know this. And how does that connect? And this was like, oh, no, I don't. I just want to see, especially when they get to the water. I was like, oh, I could just be here. Like the a lot of that runtime is James Cameron being like, all right, I'm just going to cook for an hour. You are just going to vibe out with me where you're going to see some whales. It's going to be worth it. And that's probably like in terms of like my enjoyment in the theater, besides Top, Top Gun Maverick, that hour of just being underwater with James Cameron was probably the most fun I've had in theaters. And I've been telling everybody that same thing. I'm like, Christmas, just take your family. It's three hours. You're going to love it. Everybody's just going to be happy when you leave. What were like when you walked out of it? Did you have a similar like? I just you're not expecting to be bowled over by the beauty of this big thing. I really agree. I think we had similar experiences. Like I, I, I was so much more gripped by the movie than I was expecting to be. And I think another through line and theme of conversations uh, among our pals on, on fellow pods in reviews of the film, just the general narrative around it is like the strand of doubt, big gym at your peril. Right. Like I think a <laughs> lot of people have had that experience where it's like, wait, Oh, I'm surprised by, by how, by how like rapturous this experience was. Wait, why am I surprised by that? And those are kind of the two beats of response. Now, I think, again, like if, to be clear, when I'm sitting in the theater watching this, I'm not thinking about the box office at all, but I do think that the conversation heading into the film was so much about what it took to make it, all of the innovation and invention. Do you need to see it in 3D? Do you want to sit and watch something in 3D? What does the movie need to make to break even? That like, that aspect of just the pure pleasure of staring at this thing on the screen had almost receded from our collective conversation in in a way that in hindsight now is like a little strange. But of course, all of these things are, are entwined in the larger conversation around the film. I, that middle stretch that you're talking about, the way of water. The way of water. <laughs> I, I just was like astounded by. <laughs> I, I would have happily sat there and watched that for 10 hours. The vibes and, are immaculate. Like, oh they're my, amazing. Oh, my God. The Tolkoons. I just want a Tolkoon pal of my own. It was so gorgeous and visually arresting. And if you divide the film into three acts, there's kind of that first stretch of plot mechanic catching us up on where we are, the story beats etc. Then that middle act, the second act, is learning about the way of water, ex- experiencing this new culture, this visual splendor. The third act is action. War. Battle. Set pieces. And often when we're talking about these huge movies, and of course there are, there are movies that, that this is not true for, but often we're, we're all like, man, I was so into this for Acts 1 and 2, and then Act 3 just let me down. This is a really rare inversion of that, I think, yeah. where that middle <laughs> stretch, that second act was, for, for me, and it sounds like for you, far and away my favorite. I would then say the third act, the battle, was next because it is just awe-inspiring. Like, if you are interested in action 
filmmaking at all, the spectacle of it is so gobsmacking that it's difficult not to just be wowed, even if you're like, wait, why is Spider rescuing the villain of the movie? Is he going to tell his lifelong friends and found family and companions about this? Got some thoughts on that. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) And then that opening stretch, which is typically the most gripping and successful in a film, was far and away the least interesting to me in this movie. So... I I think that like the thing that I am most likely to do is just revisit the middle stretch of this movie in the future just to look at it. Like, do you ever just boot up like an 8K YouTube nature video and stare at it on your screen? No, that's the thing I, I do sometimes. To. Yeah. Wow. Our, Wait, what's your favorite nature? What's your favorite nature locale to boot up? Oh, I I don't know if I could pick a favorite. I mean, I love any kind of like really high def close up of of animal life like if you could see every feather on a bird or every luminescent scale on a lizard just incredible stuff i do really enjoy anything underwater so again i don't know why i'm so surprised that i enjoyed watching this movie i've never plumbed the depths of the uh the ocean trenches in a submarine like like james cameron but i do like the ocean i do think the ocean's really cool and i could stare at it happily forever i love spending time at the ocean um you know what I like to watch? I like to watch the honeycomb. Oh, sliding. uh, I love the honeycomb. That's really great. Soothing and wonderful. But so one of our pals um, who shall remain nameless, it's Steve. He's on the Zoom (laughs) with us right now. Had seen the movie before me and described it as like a three hour nature documentary. And I was like, I'm more excited for the movie after hearing that that than I had previously been. Just hanging Same. out on Pandora and seeing... Because I think when we talk about world building, which is obviously paramount to what is is necessary to like create and forge and expand a universe that people understand. Like we always talk in stories about how you have to establish the rules of the universe. The rules can be anything, but you have to establish them inside of the world that you've built. And like from a story perspective, I think like the so much of what James Cameron has done in the Avatar franchise is like connected to archetypes, as you noted, that are very familiar to us. And the particulars, the thing that feels utterly authentic and specific to the Avatar universe and to the vision in his brain, this thing that started with this dream he had, like I loved reading in, in the fr- Friend of the Ringer, husband of, of Amanda Dobbins, Zach Barron's great GQ profile of James so Cameron. Good. I loved re- so amazing good. piece. Everyone should read it. I loved the part where James Cameron was describing his dream and like waking up <laughs> and just literally drawing this picture when he was a 19 year old. But like, that's the part that I think pulls me back. And so again, for the future, I'm like, I can't wait to see more of it, but also what is the story for three more movies? I don't know. I guess we'll find out a lot of, so, a lot of stuff about brain fluid, I guess. So that's what, where I want to get into the story of this, because I okay. think that there. There's two types of storytelling that are going on where I think we all really, really loved Andor because that's world building on the page where it's like through dialogue, through relationships, you are learning about things that have never been considered about Star Wars. And to give Avatar the Way of Water a lot of credit, it is the perfect example of like show don't tell where instead of it being in the script... Cameron is using CGI like Picasso or like a great painter to show you like, okay, no, when we go to the reef people, visually you will see without me saying anything to you, how these people are different, how the way they live their lives is different, what that means for the Sully family, the animals. 
you can understand so much about the world by the way the animals are designed and how they connect with each other. That part of the story, the actual what you're seeing on screen, I'm like, amazing. On the page, I laughed at various parts that I wasn't supposed to laugh because the way of water is very much like an 80s family movie of like, all right, we're packing up the kids. Dad got a new job. We're going to a new town. All the teenagers are getting into kooky hijinks. There was so much about the movie that I do think is primal you can relate to, but was also like, sometimes Jake would turn to like Natiri and say something that like a 40-year-old man from Wisconsin would say to his (laughs) I just like, hey, she's just tired from the long travel. And I was like, what are we doing here, James? And that's where I was like, I love this movie, but if I stare at the the story part of it to what you've been alluding to. I'm like, not only is this so similar to the original Avatar, it's like, what if it was Avatar, but now the protagonists were like middle-aged and had kids and were just like going along with that. I'm like, okay, interesting, interesting. Might be a little clunky in the wash. What did you think about the actual story of Way of Water? Yeah, so... Like, when I said earlier that the plot is in some ways incidental to the experience of watching the movie, I think that maybe sounds like more of a condemnation than I than I mean it to, though it is, I think, definitely true. And uh, the mapping on of the second movie's plot to the first movie's plot is like, it's difficult to be wowed by the story beats when they are so familiar to us, not only because of the archetypal nature, but but because we explored so many of those elements in the first film, they're just subbed. So you could take a couple different examples of that. Like you have the MacGuffin of unobtainium in the first movie in the second movie, we've got a few different MacGuffin-esque plot mechanics to explain the return of the Sky People, to explain the presence yeah. of the humans, to explain the return of Colonel Miles Quaritch. On the one hand, you have this just vengeance-laden desire to kill Jake Sully to stop the insurgency. Why do we want to stop the insurgency? I, enter Edie Falco to the Avatar universe! What? Loved it. Squeals in the theater. I was just like, what? Same. I was like, wow. To explain to us that, you know, we learn, uh, of course, uh, across the the exposition stretches of the film that Earth, and we could certainly glean that from the first movie that things were heading in this direction, not going to be inhabitable for long, not going to get it done. And so even though a large part of the first movie hinges on the fact that human biology is not compatible with the atmosphere on Pandora. The humans have decided to claim Pandora and make it their new home. So I guess this like terraforming prep and conversion of the planet so that human beings can eventually breathe the air is like something that we're going to be spending more time examining. And then the third MacGuffin this is really the most direct one-to-one sub for the unobtainium, is the the brain fluid from the, the our, our beloved Tolkuns. Yeah, this Amirta, which we have one line 
please correct me if I'm wrong and I am forgetting other lines. One line in the movie, there's only one scene about it, and there's one line in the movie that is, in essence, this, like, golden elixir stops human aging. Yes, they explain it once, and then (laughs) the whole time I was like, wait, so unobtainium, not important anymore. They're, like, the, the guy on the ship is like, fuck that shit, it's not important. This gold goo that is the elixir of life is actually what is like we're here for. And then I'm like, but wait, if Earth is dying, then are people trying to live longer on a dying planet? Is it so that like when they are in cryo space, transported to Pandora, their bodies uh, don't age? Like, I'm like, what is happening? To your we point, there's a lot of We don't know the answers to these questions because it is genuinely not like an area of interest for the film, which I think is emblematic of this larger distinction we're making between the effectiveness of the story and the just like immersive nature of the universe. Now, we can play out some of those story beats and play out the string and say, okay, well, unobtainium isn't necessarily as valuable of a resource anymore if you're not trying to enhance and rectify and repair energy conduction on Earth because Earth is no longer inhabitable. So you want to come to this new planet. Thus, you need to eliminate the insurgency led by the guy who understands your way of life as a Marine, as a human, as a member of this RDA mission previously, et cetera. And then when we get here and the imperial the the themes of like imperialism and colonialism that are present in the in the franchise take this planet away from the native inhabitants, we want to be able to enjoy it forever. And so we're going to take this golden brain fluid from these beautiful creatures who share this incredible bond with the with with the 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 people and have this high intelligence and compose music and have community and like all this incredible stuff. And so that gets us back to Awa and everything we explored in the first film, this idea of like the, the like ecological elements of the story, the environmentalism, conserving the resources and communing with the natural world around you rather than trying to strip mine it for your own end. I like, I think when I think about the story of Avatar, it's much more impactful to me thematically than it is in terms of the particulars because, and again, like the the world is so specific. So it's, it's like, it sounds like more of an indictment than I even mean it to be, but like unobtainium, this new Tolkien brain fluid, those particular things, maybe the brain fluid has some real bearing on the third movie. They're, it's less about them than just the larger idea behind them, which is that human beings will always want to take something of value away from somebody else. Like those those larger themes are what he's interested in. And so that larger theme of family and community is very, very present and central in this movie. And like, I'm curious to ask you on the family front, like who would you say is the main character of the movie? Because we meet all of these new kids. Do you think one of them is, would you argue one of them is the protagonist? Would you argue that there's there's no true protagonist? So the younger, the younger brother, I think Loak, right? Yeah. Yes. I would say that he is the closest thing to a central figure in this new movie. Which was weird to me because it's like still Jake Sully is thriving a lot, but Loak, his relationship with his with his Tolkoon, the relationship when he gets there, he does the very goo-goo eyes at like the princess. <laughs> yeah. like, just everything in the movie, you're almost yeah. seeing it through his eyes. You're seeing the the Metkayina people through his eyes, how weird this is. And 
that's another like one-to-one between the films, right? Because Jake in the first movie, we got all those lines about like, you're like a baby, you're like a child. And then here, when they when they join the Reef Clan, it's like, you were like babies. You have to learn everything about our new way of life. And that's true for all of them. But you're right. We see it through the, the eyes of the children much more so. Yeah. And it's, and I think, I want to ask you about the children because okay. <laughs> I, in my normal life, nieces and nephews, children are the best. They're so funny. Children are very touch and go for me in uh, movies where <laughs> I think uh, some of the children in this movie I like a lot. So I okay. want to ask you, can we rate the vibes of the Sully children from mm. worst vibes, wouldn't want to hang out to best? And let's start from Ooh. worst to best. I okay. think worst for me, coming in at number five is Spider. Uh, <laughs> I think Spider just <laughs> yeah. as from the... Uh. From you know, the white guy dreads to him saving <laughs> his war-hungry father at the yeah, end. There were terrible. so many moments where I'm like, Spider, my man. Like, even when, even when he led them up to... I forget what the aliens are called. They're in the first movie. The, uh, the, um, they fly on them. You know the lizards that fly? Oh, the, uh, the mountain banshees, the Ikron, yeah. The Ikron? Yeah. I was like, why are you letting these... I know. Violet Marines bond with these beautiful creatures. Spider just had terrible. very terrible vibes for me. Who is your number five? <laughs> oh, has to be Spider. This is an easy call. <laughs> and, you know, there's something interesting. And we, you know, we issued the spoiler warning at the top. Again, we've mentioned many times, not a ton that you can really spoil. This is one of the few, I would argue, like actual plot spoilers, which is that he is Quaritch's son. Quaritch from the first movie, the Stephen Lang character, had a kid and this is the kid and he got left behind because, and again, we've only seen the movie once in theaters. We don't have it to check the exact (laughs) quotes, but I believe I'm paraphrasing close to correctly when I say you can't put babies in cryo dipshit. (laughs) Honestly delivered with such such funny, So funny, but so the fact that Spider has been brought into the Sully family, I liked. And this idea Jake called of, him a cat, though, which I was just like, this is really mean. He called well, a human child. Cats, so yeah. highest praise. But he's like explaining how beautiful all his other kids are. He's like, oh, yeah. And then there's Spider. He's kind of like a cat. He just wouldn't stop following us. And I'm like, whoa, man. Like, I know. So mean. Jake, you know, Jake still has some some learning and growing to do. That's my note on Jake in general. The idea that like the that that the the Sully children, you know, there was like mo- multiple moments in the movie where we were reminded of the number of of fingers that they have this like visual signifier to other Navi that they are uh, they are different. They are distinct. And like hearing Loak talk about that at certain points, that like even his own people see him as alien was, I thought, compelling. And so Spider being a part of this family unit kind of like enhances that, right? This embrace of, of the distinct. The fact that Spider, now on the one hand, in fairness to Spider, and that'll be the only time I say this on this podcast. <laughs> sure, yes, he was, he was captured. He was taken prisoner by the Avatar... That in he- that uh, that housed the consciousness of his biological human father. 
It's not great. It's not what you want. <laughs> Had to be tough for our guy Spider. However, as you noted, there are an astonishing number of moments throughout the film, especially given the the establishment of the relationship between Kiri and Spider that even inside of this larger family unit, they have this like real bond and affection for each other where I'm like, my dude, you can't tell that this thing that you're doing yeah. is going to lead to harm for people you care about. I know we're going to hit some theories at the end, but because we're talking about Spider now and we're talking about toughest hangs among the kids and he is clearly the recipient of the toughest hang award and the worst vibes award, I'll just give you give you this right here. The only explanation I can think of for the fact that he saves Quaritch at the end is that he will eventually have a heel turn. Like we're, we're establishing this, this torment inside where he's feeling this pull to his father, but also this still very like clear love and affection and desire to be with and protect his Sully family. The idea that a person who had lived among the Sullys, lived among the clans, now various clans of Pandora, knew their ways, spoke their language, understood their customs, could feed that information to RDA, to the humans, which is what Jake was initially embedded to do. Yeah. Kind of feels like the point of the spider character, right? Like that's where we're heading maybe as soon as the next movie, the spider heel turn. I mean, I get the point of it. It was just like, he's so, it's just he's so <laughs> annoying. Every single time he was on the screen, I was just like, this is a little boy uh, doing the <laughs> thing <laughs> to other humans. But I think I'm going to jump to my number one because I think we've been like talking about her. I think number two has to be, has to be Took. Because I love Took. She's so cute. But also, she got captured way too much. I'm like, <laughs> you get one capture in this entire movie. If it's if it happens two or three more times, we're dang you. I loved Kiri. I think Sigourney Weaver did an amazing job. I would love to... Like, every single time they were bullying... The Reef people were bullying Kiri. The children, I was just like, you guys are so mean. Leave her alone. She just wants to chill with nature. And, like, everybody's like, you're different. We hate you. I was like... Guys, Kiri is so like precious. Would you leave her alone? What did you think of Kiri? I loved Kiri. Lo- Loak and Kiri were my two favorites of the kiddos. I I really did like it. It's a it's a one a one b for me. It's a race to the to, to the finish here because I did really like Loak and respond to particularly the way that he communed with Piacon and found his sense of like peace and purpose in the way of water and like wasn't resistant to embracing something that was, that was new to him, like really sunk in quite, quite literally, I guess to like this other culture and these other customs and allowed himself to like embrace them. I thought was like really neat. And particularly because he hasn't lived up to the like, golden child standard of his older brother and has this like less easy rapport with his father inside of this like Sully stick together very fast in the furious saga like it's all about family energy <laughs> of the film I thought that like his relationship with Jake was one of the more compelling but yeah Kiri okay and this connects to the point from a few minutes ago about how you can really just like swap one thing from the second movie onto the first Jake is the chosen one 
in the first movie, right? Like this fact that he can become the rider of the last shadow, etc. And now Kiri is clearly the chosen one, the new chosen she's the one. Neo. She's the she's the one who you could tell they were telegraphing it so hard where I'm like, Immaculate Conception. I understand. Like, I There's get this what you're real to do. like midichlorian Jesus stuff going on, <laughs> like that we used to talk about in, with the with Anakin with the prequel films. Like this connection to Awa, the All Mother, you know, basically this universe's version of the, a, a deity in this very like spiritual aspect, but like the force, right? This connection between all things, everything comes from Awa, everything returns to Awa. In the first film, we see Grace's human form and avatar form connecting into the physical surface of Pandora. And we've learned through Grace over the course of the first movie about this like neural connection across the planet. And so, yeah. like, my assumption is that even though Grace wasn't saved, that something happened there with. Ewa, yeah. Impregnated? I <laughs> yeah, think Ewa, it's gonna right? be like Ewa or Pandora itself was just like Yes, Pandora like Kiri is, is literally, yeah, exactly. Like the child of Pandora. Now I will say, while that could be interesting long term and while the character clearly worked for both of us, again, in terms of just the plot mechanic, the <laughs> It's not like full on somehow Palpatine returned, but like somehow Grace's avatar. The Avatar body had a baby. It's like, wait, what? When you're watching the movie for the first time, it's like actually really confusing. And then over the course of the film, you just kind of settle into the, well, this is the reality of of this story. And then the kind of like immaculate conception, uh, I'm assuming eventuality of it, like I think probably is, is the takeaway that most people had. But yeah, like again, thematically, this character who just feels like an outcast, this idea of being an outcast is so present in the franchise. And so like the protective nature that like her siblings have, this full embrace of Kiri as a member of their family, this desire to fend off the bullies and the people who don't understand her was like really sweet. I thought that the movie had a a sweetness and a tenderness that I was like genuinely touched by while also there was like the the kind of like part of my brain that was saying, wait, why do none of the women in this movie like have anything to do? It's so clearly like a father's and son's movie that Natiri is pretty sidelined, particularly oh, compared so to the sidelined. first film. And then you're like, wait, Kate Winslet is in this movie as Ronal, who's like barely present in the film. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! So I want to ask you, this is... I think this is definitely a movie about fatherhood made by yes. Big Jim, who is yes. like... Loves being a dad. Accounts, <laughs> I think he loves being a dad, but there he's been like divorced. He has a lot of kids. And I think this is a movie you make when you're just like, my obsession with making the biggest, most technically gifted movies of all time have maybe not made me the best father. I don't know if that is, but there seems to be some subtext in this. I like, I like movies about fatherhood. They make me cry all the time. But I was like, I was like, why are the mothers, like, just there to kind of further the plot? Like, Natiri does nothing for most of the film. And then she's just brought back to be the angry mother trying to protect her kids. Where I was just like, I feel like this is, it's a weird place to put Natiri. Because rewatching the 2009 film, I had forgotten how much she is, how much she does. Where it's just like, Jake is like, Jake is learning for so much of the movie. Natiri is really the one who's being like, oh, no, I'm good at everything. So it was weird watching this movie where I'm like, no, Jake isn't supposed to be as good as Natiri at a lot of this. Where it was just like, we see Jake shooting guns. We see Jake leading. And I'm like, why isn't Natiri doing all of this? Which it, it And even to your point with Renal, I'm like, why is, like, what is she supposed to be doing? Why Like, it literally seemed like he created a character who was supposed to explain why the Tolkun were so important was explaining how much they mean to the Reef people and then just recedes into the background where I'm like, this, I could tell a lot of men wrote this because I was like, guys, moms are way more nuanced than being either being like, isn't life precious, but also I'll kill you if you threaten my kids. I'm like, I don't know about this. Yeah, it's definitely strange. So, okay, on the one hand, I I agree with you. I had a similar experience where rewatching the first one, I was like, oh yeah, Nateria is so central, not only just in terms of like TRT, you know, how literally how present she is in the movie, but her role as like the guide, uh, the, the, the tutor for Jake. But like, even inside of the first movie, I, I was like, man, the patriarchy is real on Pandora. <laughs> like this guy, Jake Sully comes in and he gets to be the leader not Natiri? Like, it's what wild. is yeah. that? Oh, I, I, have I think that's notes. the ultimate. <laughs> I think that's the ultimate sin of like the first movie, where it's just like Jake is learning how to be a Navi the whole time. But yeah. the minute they make him the leader, I'm like, guys, what are we? It's very like Luke is the chosen one because he needs to be the chosen one, which is like I like Star Wars, but there is a certain level of just like this man yeah. learned how to be a Jedi very very quickly. <laughs> well, and so like, okay, you look at Natiri in the second film then, and we have many, many moments where we and Quaritch and his new avatar form linger on the 
yellow feathers of Natiri's arrows. And, you know, Natiri's arrow firing towards you is like one of the more, oh, wow, yeah, I'm watching a 3D movie. Yeah, kind of moments of the, of the theater going experience. But on the one hand, I think the intention of that is like reminding us that Natiri is just as much of a threat to G- as, as Jake is, right? Just as fierce and formidable of a warrior, which is true. It, it, it was hard not to think like it almost like had to be there in this movie because she's like not in the movie otherwise, which is definitely a, a bummer. So I think then when you get to the Kiri of it all again, because like this is connected, Grace and we, we we return to Grace through Kiri, you know, a few different times in this film, but Grace kind of porting over through Kiri. Kiri is a new character, this connection to Awa, what, what is it? All mother, like this idea of motherhood more broadly, I think is something that maybe James Cameron is interested in, like <laughs> mother nature, mother earth, mother Pandora. So it's, uh, it's interesting. Like, I'm curious to see, on the one hand, it sounds absurd to say that in a three hour and 10 minute movie, there's not maybe enough room to establish all of the new characters, but there are a lot of characters, genuinely a lot of characters. And despite, like, I I, I feel strongly about everything we just talked about. I'm not sure I would want to trade, this makes me sound like like a real like lunatic. I'm not sure I would want to trade our hour in the middle of the film just swimming in the reef. <laughs> for like, I mean, I say this all the time where I'm like, or time talk- with Ronal. I don't know. <laughs> I think what we're saying would make the movie uh, better in terms of just like being more representative, but I don't know if it would make it, it is going to sound bad, a better film in terms of like, I like Avatar because it's like, oh, this is the vibes movie. I sit down and for an hour, I'm just like, oh man, like the water is so beautiful where I'm just like, there's only so much you could do with the plot of this movie. I don't necessarily care about the plot of this movie. But I want to talk about antagonists. And the first antagonist I want to talk about is 3D. I love this movie in 3D. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, think, I love this. I want to pitch you on something, though. Okay. I don't know if the technology is there yet. But I probably would have liked the movie more if they were like, okay. Sometimes when you used to go to 3D movies, they would have the the part where you have to put on the 3D glasses. Part yeah. of me is, is like, it would have been great if they were like, all right, we're just going to have a normal movie. When we get to the water, we're going to have a little side, put on the glasses. We do that for an hour. We take mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because I was just, for three hours, I loved all the 3D. But as someone who wears glasses already and has to put them on top, I was like, this is, this is too yeah. much 3D. 3D for three hours is a lot of 3D. Where I almost got to a point where I was just like, we didn't need three hours of this. Maybe 90 minutes. Not sure we needed all of it. Where I know you were asking the group chat, you're like, do I need to see this in yes. the Yes. So I pulled our Ring Reverse group chat in advance to ask if I could credibly podcast about the film if I did not see it in 3D. Because to be completely clear about this, my strong preference would have been to not see it in 3D. I do not like seeing movies in 3D. I just think it's like unpleasant to have like a thing on my face for, and I don't wear glasses. So I think I'm just not literally just not used to it. I'm like, this is just, I'm, I'm fucking with these the whole time. I'm like, you know, I, uh, this is just like a whole thing to manage. So to, to, in terms of your pitch, I would definitely not want that. 
because I'd constantly then have to be thinking about whether <laughs> at least this time I just put them on and then that was that. I wouldn't want the, okay, now it's time for uh, a message. Hey, put your 3D glasses on. Because I think the thing that we're really, the thing that we're really saying almost more than anything else is like, this is just a vibe for three hours. And I don't, it's this immersive experiential thing. And I wouldn't want anything to pull me out of that. And I think like prompts to put the glasses on and take them off would really have pulled me out of it and reminded me that I was there watching a movie about the way of water instead of participating and learning about the way of water myself, which is what I like to pretend I was doing. I'm like, I'm just swimming here with my, with my guy. So I'm curious, like given what you just said, do you think, like, did you leave this wanting more 3D? Or are you like, this is a rare, rare thing where I'm willing to go the 3D route? Did you miss 3D when it wasn't as much a part of our lives? Like, what's your overall longing I've or always, desire? Yeah. I've always hated it. I've always yeah, hated too. 3D. And I left this movie being like, telling everybody, go see this movie in 3D. I will see a James Cameron movie in 3D. Yeah. I will not see any other movie. Like, I hope. I really am like strongly like I don't want Marvel to be like, hey guys, Ant-Man is 3D now. I do not want that. I just want Same. James Cameron, Avatar movies. If he wants to do this, because like even when you're in the forest in the beginning with the 3D, yeah. it is electric just seeing things fly at yeah, you. Yeah, the vines. And the the, vi- yeah. Oh, the water it, droplets and like the, yeah, it's great. But I didn't leave <laughs> this being like, I hope this resurrects the 3D trend. Because do you no, remember? No, quite the opposite. I'm like, I hope that this does not, my fear <laughs> is if this movie is really successful, it will revive the 3D trend in a way that would be genuinely upsetting. Like, I really don't want that to happen. Wait, I, well, let me ask this before we get on to the other antagonist. Would you, for like a week only, if Top Gun Maverick goes comes back mm. to theater, would you be like, yeah. Would you see Top Gun Maverick yes. in 3D just to see Happily. like the fucking planes going like yeah. zoom? Gladly. Yeah. <laughs> Gladly and with joy in my heart. <laughs> so it seems like we're not saying we hate all 3D, just 99.9% of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's How- Maverick can <laughs> transcend any anything I, I I dislike, but very few can. <laughs> so how did you feel about we've been talking about like the kernel? Yeah. And it was funny where I was in the beginning, I was almost laughing at the movie magic of it all, where it's like you don't realize until you watch 2009's Avatar how much of the movie is set up by Jake just like talking to a computer, be like, all right, we could literally just explain everything. And this movie does a very similar thing with the Colonel, where it's like, we have to explain why the Colonel is back, why he's in a Navi body, why the other Marines are back, why the humans weren't here for this long. And it's almost... As cheesy as it is, I was very happy that they did it so quickly. Because I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I get everything. I understand why he's back. Part of me is a little itchy about the Colonel potentially returning in the third movie where I'm like, I think we've gotten enough of the Colonel as a character. He's very one note. What did you think about how... Because he looms over this movie so much in a way where I was like, I (laughs) I don't know about all this. So... One of my big questions heading into the movie was how is Quaritch in this movie? How is Lang in this movie? Like, he died. We saw him die. And then well before you actually sit down to see the movie, you're able to, like, figure it out on your own, right? It's like, okay, well, we know that the way the 
avatars work is that your consciousness, there's this neural link, your consciousness is ported into this other being. And we know that it can be permanent with it, as in Jake's case. Now that was handled on Pandora uh, through the connection to Awa, not through humans and RDA and their pursuit of greed at all costs. But like, we know it's possible. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, they're going to have his consciousness and Uploaded into a new body, and there's our villain right where we left him in the form of his enemy. New twist, new wrinkle. I agree. I liked that we got the really kind of neat and tidy download. I think that the video logs in the first film were like, and in general, kind of the way the voiceover manifests in the first film, it's like holding your hand in a way that feels almost like too handy and simple. Like you always have the explanation right there when you need it, but also like you do kind of need it. Sometimes you just need someone to explain to you what's happening. So I was glad that we like dispensed with that, handled it and dispensed with it quickly. And the Quaritch character in the first movie is like successful as a character, even if, as you note, there's this like one note quality to it. So it makes sense to me, I guess, that he's back. I'll be curious to see, again, the spider of it all and maybe like the transference of some of those, um, some of those like, I, I don't know what will have to happen for a spider to be, be like acting on behalf of humanity, but the bond between those characters and then the like pursuit of vengeance against somebody who's hurting Quaritch. But like, here's the thing. I'm, t- I'm talking this out in real time with you and it's like, can you ever eliminate this character? Like I'm saying, okay, well, what if Spider steps in? But like, there's always another body, right? Now, I guess we know it takes time. It takes time to go back to Earth. It takes time to fly the mission back to Pandora. It takes time to grow the Avatar body that's happening in transit. So if the third movie is picking up like right after this one, if this Avatar form form of Quaritch had in fact perished, if Spider hadn't fucking pulled him out and saved him, then in theory, he would not have been able to be in the third movie because there wouldn't have been time to get a new Avatar form for him. But he could have come back in the fourth (laughs) if there's like enough time between them. Like we're we're in a little bit of a, um, you know, Black Mirror like, again, and this is like a a sci-fi trope, right? The ability to upload consciousness. It's like not necessarily something you can just do once. So in a way, I think that could be interesting if these characters are like always caught in a loop with each other. Mm. But, and like, can you escape your foe? Can you escape your own worst tendencies? Like that could be compelling. But I think the fear is the one you've outlined, which is like, does every movie just feel the same if it's the same characters facing off against each other. So if Spider becomes the foe for the younger kids and you kind of pass that rivalry down to the next generation, maybe that's a way to like maintain that tether while also giving us something a little fresh. So I'm going to skip ahead because we're going to talk about like, you know, our favorite parts of the movie. But by the end of this movie, when we get Jake and Jake has finally been like, hey, this is war. I can't keep running away. I was asking myself, I'm like, Charles, do you just want one more of these movies? Should this be a trilogy or should it be five? And I think the best way they can make a five of these movies is going the Planet of the Apes route, the Reeves movies, where it's just like, 
I think those movies were very, very successful of like, they kind of structurally are always about the same thing. But as the war gets more desperate, as kids get brought into it, as like, that was almost like, I got very big Planet of the Apes vibes from Jake being like, okay, now if this is five movies, we are going to see three movies of like, what does war do to people? How does war dehumanize people? The Navi are spiritual. What does it do to Pandora? What does it do to Jake? What does it do to Natiri? What does it do to Loak? I'm like, I would like to see five of those movies. I don't know, as much as I liked Way of Water, I don't know if I want another, they go to the volcano, Navi, and now the colonel is chasing them down there. I'm like, I don't know how many times I could see the colonel being like, Sully's, I just, I don't know. Would you, which, which way would you want the Avatar story to go? Do you just want one more? Do you, is there a world where you want three more? So I'm a little bit at war with myself over this because I think like when you think about the plot, yeah, I want more like advancement and evolution and just character development and character arcs to continue to return to the world. but. If I'm honest, based on everything that we've said in the pod and everything that we experienced watching the movie, I would like happily go back and actually experience exactly what you just said you didn't want, which is like the volcano movie. You know, like give me give me a new a new clan and a new part of Pandora in every film and have it look amazing. Have it push the bounds of what we've seen before on screen because that is actually what we're coming to the films for. And so if we're achieving that, and I think that's what we're going to get for what it's worth because I'll I'll read a quote from you uh, to you from, um, this is from uh, John Landau, the producer. And this was to Nick Romano at Entertainment Weekly. And this is about the, the future of the franchise. Quote, Each movie will introduce audiences to new biomes. Each movie is going to introduce audiences to new clans, new cultures on Pandora. Once we introduce a character, they stay a part of the ongoing evolution. We just add to it. So you could expect to see the Metkayina that you met in this movie and subsequent movies. There are other clans that will introduce in movie three that you'll see in movie four and so on and so forth. So I do think that's what's going to happen. Now, how do you balance the one of the end notes of this film being like, we have to leave. No, like your son is with our ancestors now. This is your home. This is our home. We are part of the way of water with like, okay, we're probably just going to have to bounce and go somewhere else. And then here's, you know, here's the, the thing though with our guy, Jake Sully. At some point, and I was already feeling it here, we're going to have some notes for Jake Sully on continuing to endanger other clans, other families, and other ways of life just because he wants to flee from Quaritch. So at some point, he will have put all of Pandora in danger, though I guess RDA is coming for all of Pandora anyway. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> to your point, it is not... Like, I would love... Like, have you seen... Have you seen the the documentary Fire of Love? No. It's so it's this lava documentary about like these two uh, these two scientists who study volcanoes and just like their love story and how it like bonds them and it is a beautiful wow. it's just it's all of their archival footage about studying volcanoes and when I saw it I was Amazing. like breathtaking I would yeah. watch five hours of just lava so I would love the lava avatar what I don't want to your point and you you express it way better than me is the Jake goes to a new tribe. He endangers them. And then he's just like, oh, man, I learned your ways. But 
gotta run away from the colonel. I'm just like, I don't, I think there's a way to do the bio movie without it constantly being like a Tom and Jerry episode where it's like Jake and his family running away from like the colonel. Like it just. Yeah. Do you think after four movies, we will say that this at this Avatar franchise has just uh, officially mapped onto the other Avatar franchise? We started in the forest with earthbending. Then we went, <laughs> we went to the reef for waterbending, firebending, and airbending. Here we come. I mean, Kiri <laughs> bended in this movie, technically. <laughs> Kiri did bend. It's true. Underwater. Like it's she true. Did the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're actually an Avatar. Shout out to you. <laughs> I so, love it. Before we wrap and we give this a yeah. midnight meter ranking, if we had to if we had to pick our favorite moment because we've been talking about the water scene but like if we had to like specific moment of your like this is my shit I love this movie what would it be for you? I think it would be Loak and Payakan bonding going on their first Mm -hmm. swim together the hand reaching out to touch the fin I was just like Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> when he this said it is incredible. When he said his story is too painful uh, to tell him, uh, I was just like, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. And like that's the other thing with the the CGI, the visuals, the technological advancement in the film. We're talking a lot about the water and the quality of filming in the water that is like genuinely astonishing. Yeah. But when you see like the depth in the eye of Pyacon or Roa. It is it is incredible. Like I don't know how he did that. So that ha- that has to be my my favorite stretch. I just I'm always a sucker for a bond between a being and a magical creature and I thought Pycon was just a delight. I thought the Tolkoons were fascinating. I would love an entire movie even though we I think feel as we just discussed, pretty pretty certain we'll 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 bounce to another another region at some point. I would love another movie just set in the water, swimming with our space whales. I thought they were great. What about you? What was your favorite? And then he came back at the end, and he was like oh, yeah. in the thick of it, in the action, crushing ships and but using a, a a like the the. <laughs> Able to saw that dude's arm. <laughs> Wait, oh, that's not. Maybe that's one B. The the really like the asshole who's like hunting the Talcoon. Yeah, when his arm comes flying off, I'm like James Cameron just knows what to do. Yeah, scores In- B. Oh, Fuck God. that guy. <laughs> I would say my weakness in any movie, and I don't think we do it enough. I love a training montage. I love mm. a, we're going to, like, yep. when the kids arrive and they're learning from the Mekayina children about, like, how to ride certain things or, like, how great. to, what do they eat? All these different things. Like, yeah. James Cameron, I'm just like, you like you know how to do the training montage of even when, like, Jake is learning, he wants to learn how to ride the uh, the same steed that the warriors do. Yes, it was just a very... wing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love a training montage. I also yeah. think the third act of this movie where I'm usually, you said this earlier, I'm usually set up to be disappointed by third acts because I'm like, I don't really care about the fighting. I care about like the characters and, and how they it connect It was amazing. But James Cameron, <laughs> yeah. he knows how to do an action scene. I don't, yeah. Everything from when the knife, when people would swipe at each other, when the mm. bullets would fly, it, there yeah. was a weight to it. Everything, there was a choreography to the to the action set pieces where I'm just like, oh, this is like a man who's been doing this for his entire life. He knows how to like set up an action scene that 
feels emotional. I just had not seen something that affecting uh, when people are just shooting at each other. Did you feel like when the when the air pockets? Because we have two duos, you know, in the family unit who are caught in the vessel and can't find their way out until uh, Kiri comes to the the rescue, aided by Awa. Did you like feel like a tightening in your chest watching that? Like you actually had the sensation. I started breathing heavier. I'm like, I can't breathe. I'm like, oh "Oh, no. I'm like, why why am I breathing more heavily watching this? And it is a credit to that really like wholly immersive quality of that action stretch. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. It was, I mean, it was touching. It was amazing. Jake, when Jake is like about to drown, he's like, I can't do this. I can't breathe. Yeah. And then his son is essentially like teaching him everything that he's learned. I'm like, okay, this is exactly like the first movie, but it works. Like, I'm just like this. I know. I know. And then he's like, oh, I'm so, I'm such a dickhead to you, but look at you and all you've learned. That was nice. (laughs) So, now, this is not the Midnight Boys, but I, I want to do a Midnight Meter ranking. For oh those that don't, that don't know what the Midnight Meter is, it's a, we score a movie from 1 to 12. 12 is for Game Changers. We're talking about Infinity War, Dark Knight, the right. big the big ones. All right? 1 to 10, those are just normal 1 to 10. Right. 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. Right. So it's really a 1 to 10. But like yes. 11, 12 are reserved for the extraordinary. The extra, like the, we're putting yes. this in the pantheon of movies. It's very hard to get a 12. The entire time we've done the Midnight Boys, the only thing to score a 12 has been Andor. Right. Right. So you want oh me to God. go first? Yeah. Okay. Boy. I'm going to give Way of Water a strong, strong eight. I think okay. it is yeah. like. It is not a 10. It is not a perfect movie. But what it does well, it does very, very well. And I was like, my girlfriend's like, what did you think? I was just like, I looked like an idiot watching it because my mouth was like, <laughs> like, I was just like, oh my God, what's that? The water, look at the water. It's so crystal clear. Uh, yeah. Like, look at the pores on the Navi. Amazing. It gets an eight just like of a, I spent three hours in a theater and I was just like a baby. I'm like, this is like the first time I saw her. my dad took me to see Wizard of Oz in theaters. So I'm like, whoa, color. Like, amazing, bro. So strong eight. Where are you going now? Yeah, I think I'm at an eight, an eight too. And for for the same reasons, it's just, it is such a, it is such a gripping and, and stunning visual achievement and spectacle that, you kind of have to credit it and award it for that, for like the advancement and the innovation on that front. And I think for like winning us over, despite the skepticism, the lack of interest in 3d, not having really spent many moments in the past decade, plus saying, I can't wait for the next avatar. And then to have that experience of like, wow, these three plus hours kind of flew by. And I thought that looked amazing. Now I assume we'll head into another stretch. Now it won't be as long between movies, but into another stretch where we're like, I didn't really think about Jake Sully's character arc much between these <laughs> films, but like I did think about how cool it was to see the fluorescent aquatic plant life. And that's something. <laughs> like it is it is an imperfect film and an imperfect franchise that pushes the boundaries of what we have seen before and understand to be possible. And that is an eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you coming in with a three? Where are Steve, you? Steve, give us your 
Give oh, us your midnight meter ranking because you're a hater. <laughs> you hate this movie. <laughs> I wanted to put this at like six. A six? Yeah. Steve. Are you, you don't think that. Are you clueless? <laughs> this is, I saw a lot of cool screensavers for about an hour and a half. That was Let nice. Let me tell you something. I love a cool screensaver. Do you have an Apple TV? You know when it goes into screensaver mode and you just get to watch the beautiful landscape? Aerial like, footage of uh, like, yeah. you know, Shanghai and whatever. Yeah, no, that's that's what this movie was for about half of that. Oh my God. Whale brains. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we, Steve is coming back in the, with Quaritch to destroy the way of life on Pandora. That's a little fine. preview of the Midnight Mulligans episode. How about that? <laughs> Well, guys, that has been our instant reactions to Avatar The Way of Water. Thank you so much, Mal. I had so much fun. I think uh, The Way of Water won us both over. Such a joy to be here with you. I, I, I had an absolute blast. I will happily swim among the Tolkien with you anytime you want, buddy. What a treat. Thank you. Woo! All right. Remember, follow us on socials, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, hashtag Save Joe Meets Job this Wednesday. Midnight Boys return from Midnight Mulligans on Friday. The House of R are giving you all the recommendations you need to know. And then next Wednesday, it is the verses. We are celebrating. We, this is the Oscars. Honestly, people have said this is bigger than the Oscars, you know? So make sure you tune in. And with that, I want to thank you so much for Steve for producing. Our other producer, Arjuna Ramkapal. Also, Jomi Adeneron on the socials. And with that, I just have to say, Big Jim did it again, even though Steve thinks Way of Water could be better. And if we've learned anything from this amazing movie, Sully's stick together. (laughs) 